The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Z-Pod. An Outreach Ministry of Identity Matters podcast. Z-Pod is focused on addressing the worldview issues relating to the millennial generation and their children, Generation Z. Our new podcast series reveals the importance of the indwelt believer knowing and understanding who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to Z-Pod with Dr. Stephen Finney. This is part B. We cannot hope to obtain any favor and or redemption from God for this present generation if there is no faith. And where in regard to the wisdom necessary to actually guide Generation Z away from this kind of stuff. You see, it doesn't take faith to react on impulse. Do you understand that? It's the birthing zone of sin. It doesn't need thought. It doesn't need faith of any kind. You could say you have faith in something you believe in. They could care less if you like that song. Or if you chose to say, well, I'm going to believe in that one character I saw. So you buy his series of games. Well, that's what they want you to do for sales. But see, they don't care what your God is. You pick. We just want to make money off of it. But if you have parents who are into the same gaming addictions, we're going to have an implosion on two generations at one time. And that is what we're experiencing. So the two key principles here are doubting and tossed by the wind. If we want God to vitalize the revival, we must come to him with the utmost confidence, the most immovable assurance that he will be grant such a miracle to those of us grandparents and those millennial parents who really do care about this stuff affecting their children. On the other hand, if we continue to come to God with doubt in our minds, we can only expect being tossed by the waves of a depraved society. The blunt reality is that we cannot expect or be so sure that what we ask will be in accordance to God's will. And even if it was, nothing can be done according to his will without faith. Nothing. That's what the scriptures tell us. Nobody can have faith and nobody can know God without Jesus Christ who has the title of faith. 
So when you talk about faith-based, you are not referencing the Almighty God. When you talk about my faith is in Buddha, that is an oxymoron because the two do not go together with God. Faith is one of the names of Jesus Christ. Satan has diluted it into you having some kind of faith in something you believe in. And the reality is that unless faith is true faith, and that is Jesus Christ, you're going to have no connection to a miracle or to the God of miracles. A wavering generation is a generation simply without faith. So when we talk about the reality of a generation being tossed like waves or by the waves of society, I don't know if you've ever been around the ocean when there's a storm out at sea, but it is a treacherous thing to observe. Some are so fascinated by it that they stay in their homes and or watch the ocean waves as they pound the shores. These waves are uncontrolled. You have no clue what they're going to do. You have no clue if there's a 50-footer coming in behind the 30-footer. But it somehow rouses the interest and to be on the edge of fear. Fear is the addicting factor of paralyzing you from sharing the gospel uncut. So Satan has taken the ideology of fear and he's turned it into a money-making machine because the flesh actually loves hanging on to fear because it becomes your greatest excuse for being an active minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it could be a fear of speaking to people. It could be a fear of public speaking. It could be a fear of being put on the spot. I don't care what little subtitle you give it. Fear is the addictive source of your resistance and defiance against Jesus Christ. And it's in this room and it's in the, the huts and the little homemade churches and the outside churches that we minister to around the world. Fear is the base, the foundation for paralyzing God's children. And he is certain the gospel will be stopped. And it did. It worked. Now we have two generations who are phobic about sharing absolute truth. Embarrassed by Jesus Christ. Embarrassed by the true gospel. We have become paralyzed and made impotent. And now we have a brand new era that they have put upon our culture today called the post-truth era. Post 
Say it with me. Post-Jesus era. So now when you use the name Jesus so boldly, what you end up getting is snarling-looking faces or doubtful-looking faces or judgment-looking faces. The first thing that is birthed out of fear is a rebellion against authority. When someone that I'm working with has a hard time with authority, I know that they are a fear-bound individual. They are bound by fear. People who cannot openly submit to authority, yes, sir, I'll take care of that now. People who cannot do that are people bound by fear. Please don't ever forget that. Use your excuses all you want. Invent new adjectives if you want. Come up with rhyme and reason why you're so fearful because your daddy embarrassed you so much or because of whatever. Go make all the excuses you want. It won't change the problem. You will die in bondage to fear. I'm going to say that one more time, listener. You will die in bondage to fear. You'll get on the other side. The only thing Christians will be judged for is for missing the opportunity of the gospel. You will not be judged by your sins. Your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what you will stand before God and have a nice long talk about is the opportunities you missed to have the Holy Spirit manifest through you, which is the opposite of blasphemy. Blasphemy is oppression, and release is obedience. All these dots connect. Now, listener, listen carefully. Not that you need my permission. You you have my permission to turn off everything I said Because I already know the statistics that the majority of people who have problems with fear can only be obedient during the time they hear the message. Then it steals their heart and it steals the gateway of the gospel within the next couple hours. And you go back to being a rebellious person to authority, which is the greatest offense of the living God. 602. 292-2982. I would love to hear from you. This present culture is unstable in all of its ways. Like a wave of the sea has no stability. So we look into the lives of these Gen Zers and their parents. We don't see stability as one of the key characteristics of these two generations. Gen Z's worldview is at the mercy of every wind of doctrine and seems to be driven and tossed by every modality that comes their way. The results are mind-bending, ending in a worldview that has unsettled convictions and hopes, is liable to be driven by every feeling Literally, it can 
They can be moved by the new fad that's going around, the new tennis shoes, the new shirts, the new blue jeans, the new this. Every fad, every facade, which is a fake representation, that's the Wheaties box where you put your hand in there expecting Wheaties, and what you're getting is ground-up cardboard, something that has no nutritional value for your life. So in one moment, hope and faith impel them to seek God. Then the mind is at once filled with uncertainty and doubt, and their souls are as agitated and restless as the ocean itself. Hope on one hand, and fear of not obtaining what they want on the other, keeping the entire generation restless and discomposed of a sound worldview. Your worldview is what sets you free because behavior comes out of worldview. And if you're an unsaved person or you're one of these fear-bound Christians, you need to understand the principle applies to you. Whatever your worldview is will deliver you for 10 minutes or it could deliver you for the rest of your life. So if your worldview is I must maintain control in order to control my fear, you're going to die in your fears. You're going to die in your fears. But if your worldview is the mind of Christ and Christ's view of the world, you will be set free from any worldview afflicting you in your household, in your church, in your community, or in the world. If Paul was referring to all of these people he was ministering to, that they are unstable in all of their ways, this is what he's referencing. Their minds are still friendly with the world. They're too embarrassed to detach from it. They will suffer the greatest consequence of fear. Does anyone want to tell me what it is? It's loneliness. Fear breeds loneliness. And some people enjoy being lonely. They call them hermits. They've adapted to loneliness as part of their life. Now, you know the problem we have. You understand, hopefully, a little bit of the biblical rationale behind what fear can do. Hopefully, you understand a little bit more why Satan uses fear as a prospering investment to the entire world. What the unsaved people have done, they spent $15 for a ticket to go watch a horror movie. And then later it became cyborg movies, which is simply a blending of demonics and spirituality. And it became pleasure. So then they spend another $15 on the next action figure movie that comes out. The demonics do not create a fear of God anymore. It creates an addiction to fear. 
And that's how fear becomes a lifestyle. And it can happen to anybody. One of the main characteristics of Gen Zers is their ever-moving and restless behavior. Again, it's just like the sea, always in motion, never entirely calm, and ends in lashes of foam that proves its wild commotion, all within 30 seconds. Now, when you're watching the, the advertisement from Sony, when you're watching that, was there anyone here that felt a bit agitated. You see, demonics should agitate indwell believers. Now, it didn't agitate me in the sense of, oh, look at this. It agitated me in the sense of, oh my God, what has the enemy done? to reaching the minds of our target. I became mad when I opened up this video and watched it. I was mad that it works. I don't know how much money they spent on putting the media together. I could have put that video together. It's not that difficult. Once this happens, they just need to find their target audience. And they did. Because they know this. That they're restless. Their parents too, they're restless. And they're never really entirely calm. And their lives end up with a bunch of foam because of their own agitation to being restless. So restless should communicate one of two things to you. Satan's in the room. Not really, because I personally believe he can't leave the Middle East. But one of his demonic beings is in the room. Or Jesus Christ is telling you something. He's revealing something to you. So how is it that people can read novels and have trash in it, but have it have a great message? How is it they can sit through a movie and have trash in it, bad pluralistic doctrines, and yet you somehow walk away from the movie and say that movie had an awesome message? And I go, really? Where did you find this good message? Well, you know, if you... Don't look at the... What's happened to our minds? That we can sit in a chair and watch a movie with a demonic being and not get agitated the right way. Here's our scripture. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. We've covered this more times than I could count. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he just might flee from you.
Okay, let's do this. Let's just put a line through submit therefore to God. And now we're going to have some charismatic doctrine. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have the power and authority as a Christian to resist the devil. Stand against him. Warfare him out of the room. That's not the main mandate. That would be a box of Wheaties cover and you put your hand in it and get the ground up cardboard. It is submit therefore to God. There's your key. It's your golden key and he's passing it to us. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan is most comfortable in the clothing of fear. When there is a new robe of righteousness that is confident, hopeful, in the word of truth, he has to leave the room. So now we have people running around talking about their faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in Buddha. Faith in whatever thing they want to believe in. And they call it faith. Liar. Liar. Pence. On fire. It does not work. In the logistics, nor the gotological conclusions with the living God. Jesus is the Father's only venue of faith. 602 292 2982. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. It's your first move. There are so many indwell believers, I hear from many of them. So have you probably. There's so many indwell believers that just can't figure out why they can't hear the voice of God in their head. The answer is so simple they can't get it. Why? Because they're cloaked in fear. Fear only hears self-talk. Right? Because fear has to come up with the excuses to avoid what they're being told what to do. So now, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is a mandate saying I'm giving you now the methodology of how to submit therefore to God. You cannot be afraid of the Father. You cannot be afraid of the Father figures. You cannot be afraid of the father representatives, deacons. You cannot be afraid of the, and the list goes on and on. So therefore, if you are, you can quote this verse all day long, and you'll die in fear. They will bury you in fear. But what happens on the other side of that casket might surprise you, you fear bodies. Now, I am not speaking from a perspective of always being confident and outward as a preacher. You could ask my wife. 
probably the first half of our marriage, I was bound by fear. There was a point in my life that I could not go into a convenience store to buy a pack of gum because my hands would shake too much in order to get the change out of my pocket and give it to the cashier. Bound by fear to the point where I couldn't even speak that I spent the majority of my childhood stuttering. Everything that is opposite of a passionate preacher of the living God, I was it. So I'm not speaking to you as a person who has never suffered with paralyzing fear. I'm speaking to you as a person who has lived in paralyzing fear most of my life until God brought me to a strategic moment in my Jesus, my faith. And I can take you to the spot today in the condo that I was at when I was on this personal retreat and God says to me, fear not man any more. This is not a suggestion. I cannot accomplish my mission through you if you are cloaked in the darkness of the enemy's clothing. You cannot live there anymore. And then my discipler laid hands on me and it was as if a bucket of warm water was poured over me and I was released and have never been the same since. I am a rotten teacher, but few compare to my preaching. And there's thousands, if not millions, of teachers and preachers in the world today who have the indwelling life of Christ that would say the exact thing I just said. When Paul said to his people, this is after he prayed three times that this this messenger of Satan would leave him alone. These are my verses from my life. So when he started that out, God had my attention. For Paul prayed three times that it would part from him. He was very aware of the demonic harassment that he was under. And did God deliver him? Not like I wanted. The next is the famous passage that is abused more than any human on the face of the earth. In red letters, which is very unusual 91 years after the crucifixion. And Jesus says this. He doesn't have a 40-minute therapy session with Paul. Coddling his childish behavior. He simply said this. Paul. For my grace is sufficient for you. And power is perfected in weakness. Then the red letters are gone. So that's going to change him? You better believe it changed him. He immediately, without hesitation, said this. 
then I would rather boast in my infirmities that God would be glorified. And he went on to go through a list of through trials and tribulations and distresses and difficulty. And then he finishes it with the conclusion I believe Jesus wanted him to get out of this three-second encounter with the real Jesus, red-letter Jesus, I think we call him, where Paul says, when listing out these trials and persecutions and distresses and difficulties for Christ's sake, For when I am weak, then I am strong. This boy came out of his casket. Since that night with Keith Fredrickson, who is before the living God as I speak today, Judy, thank you for offering your husband to an old fear-bound young man like me because he's experiencing what he taught many of us But I'm here to tell you, because of the impact and direction of this one man, this one mentor, this one authority figure in my life, I am a new man by gifting. Not just a new man by salvation, I am a new man by gifting. So you don't hear the voice of God in your head, you are bound by fear. Don't ask me the question, how is it that you can hear the voice of God when you preach and teach and when you're studying the word and when you're dialoguing with people on the net or off the net? What people want is a fast fix. Could you please hand me the hamburger and fries and Coke so I can get through this fast food line? I'm hungry. They don't want to go through what God said to me when I was 16 years old, barely able to read. He took me to the passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 18, when he posed me with this question. Stephen, do you really want to be wise? Do you really want to be acknowledgeable of the holy? Because if you do... Through increasing pain is increasing, I mean, through increasing wisdom is increasing pain. And increasing knowledge is increasing suffering. Is this what you're willing to embrace? Because what I asked God for at 16 years of age, after I received Jesus Christ for the new internal person, it was not the new external person yet. But what I asked him is, could I please have half of the wisdom of Solomon? Just so that I could have wisdom to live. Because I felt stupid. All the manifestations of fear. Fearful people feel stupid. Why would they share the gospel for Pete's, Peter's sake? I don't know why he always gets the blame for it. You see, our motivation that is being put in front of us is you need to put the right foot forward so the left foot will follow. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
you spoiled brats that are listening out there, you're going to want God to draw near to you. Then you'll decide, depending on your level and magnitude of fear, if you will draw near to him. And I'm telling you, Zir, I'm telling you, millennial, or X generation, or elder generation, I'm telling you, that day will never come. God doesn't bow to your fears. It would be proof he's not God. There are seven, there are, there are even greater error in the present culture. And that is this present culture is blaming God for evil. Now that seems like a bit radical for a lot of people. But see, any time that you are unable to submit therefore to God, for whatever the reason may be, you are accusing God of evil. Now I have to face that as a preacher, teacher, or literally just a body member of Jesus Christ. I have to face that every day. That any time I hesitate in sharing the truth with someone, any time I hesitate in wanting to do whatever it is that God has asked me to do, I'm accusing God of being evil. In other words, your direction here is way off balance. I'll let you know when I'm ready to submit to you. Well, God's not going to come knocking at that door. Some of you are listening right now and you're thinking right this moment that God does not use me like this preacher I'm hearing right now. The most grievous lie known to indwelt Christianity. I know little kids, particularly a seven-year-old, he's much older now, but I'm giving you the age when I was introduced to him via the internet, a seven-year-old preacher from South America. I should show you one of his videos. It is unreal, the power that comes out of that kid, who is now a young preacher that has stormed a nation, has stormed a continent, for Jesus. It doesn't matter what your age is or if you've been to seminary cemetery or not. If you are a vessel of the living God, then you have the living God living inside you. And if you have the living God living inside you, all hell can break loose in the world if you enter a room. The presence of light destroys the presence of darkness. Is it lonelier at the top? My earthly experience is yes. But my spiritual experience that I experience often with the Lord in the privacy of my own office and sometimes in a public setting is I'm not alone at all. There's a host of witnesses in my office. That's what it says in Hebrews. And even if there wasn't a host of witnesses, I've got me, myself, and I, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, probably an angel or two, my little office is packed out. That's the reality. And that is the reality we need to function from. 
The point on which he truly existed, he would guard them. This is how the Gen Z is thinking. He would guard them from the evils of the world. Since there is so much evil and disorder in the world, their irrational minds conclude that he must not be there. Why would a God of love allow so much evil? This, of course, concludes with the assumption that God does not exist. The birthing place of atheism. Statistics prove that a person's worldview often is in concrete formation before the young person is 13 years of age. Now, before, the cement is not hard. After 13 years of age, which I do believe is a significant number to God, the Hebrew God, our God, So if you try to move and shift around the worldview of someone who has been well-trained up to 13 years of age, you're going to have a tough time moving them. You might temporarily, but when they get old, they're not going to part from it. And that's what the scripture tells us. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So if we paraphrase it, According to our topic, we have trained up a child in a biblical worldview. Even when they are old, they will not depart from a Christ's life worldview. Now, in between 13 and whatever age they swing back around, we call it looping in discipleship. There may be all kinds of evil and disorder. But you millennial parents or even generations above us do not understand one simple factor. If you don't train this child up in the ways of the Lord, the methodologies of the Lord, the doctrines of the Lord, before this child is 13 years of age, they have nothing, nothing to return to. Satan knows this. So to take the potency of parenting out of a couple generations would literally set the stage for an entire new global world system that some leader is going to step up and say, let me have them. I've got a great plan for them. Because they have no backbone. They have no worldview. They have no stability. They're tossed like waves. Let me put some structure in their life. As in, I will require them to bow before me. Now that's too much. Let's move on. This brings us back to the failure of the millennial parents. Basically falling down on the job. Whatever worldview that the parents have, the children tend to adopt. It's just part of life. Even if they reject it later, they go through this phase of adopting it, having it as part of their own fiber. 
Then they toss it aside. Hopefully one day they come back and say, man, my dad was right. No, Jesus Christ was right. Your dad just happened to be submissive to him. Submit, therefore, to God. Always starts with that. The parent who sows a twisted worldview will reap the same in their children. Most worldviews are adopted because of an individual sees others, basically, and what they believe, and they just kind of go with that flow. I don't know if you ever noticed that about worldview. But once you get the person to be a people pleaser, you're just in the flow of someone else's worldview. So if you can check that box that you've been a people pleaser, you need to understand your faith might not be yours. You may be living off of the church's faith, or you may be living off of a brother's faith, or you may be living off of a made-up faith. But you're easily swayed and tossed around if you do not have your worldview in concrete formation. So less than 3% of all adults form their worldview through study and research. That leaves 97% defaulting into beliefs of those they choose to admire or someone who makes sense of their worldview. So today, Gen Zers admire cartoons and action figures. Our video should have shown you that. There wasn't one real person once they, they switched in their video, which was a distinct change. They went from humans to cartoons and animated figures, demonics, and cyborging. That's what they admire. It's unreal, but influential characters that pack a mean punch with frenetic pluralism. Here's our parental principle for today. The abiding life. An indwelt parent models resting, trusting, and continually yielding, submitting therefore to God, to the life of Christ through all forms of parenting. Romans 6.13 is where you're going to find those spoken truths. Abiding is commonly used in the Bible, Old and New Testament. When a child is not abiding in their parents for a lifetime, they're in serious trouble. You don't abide in Christ until you're strong and then you dump him. That's called stupidity. You abide in Christ until you're dead. And then the abiding life continues as a lifestyle for eternity. Parental principles are not facular. They are permanent until the old man's dead, the old lady's dead, or you're dead. They're permanent. Abiding in your parents is permanent until death parts you. But I can assure you eternally, you will get rewards for honoring your father and mother and your spiritual authorities. I know this. I've had several mentors teach me this throughout my life. I will honor the men who invested in my life throughout my entire ministry life if they would not have invested 
And they had to do some real tough uh, discipleship sessions on this mind, I'll tell you that. Because fear is very defensive of authority. And I had to go through that, be broken down in that, before I discovered the real truth behind the eternal benefits, the eternal weight of glory of honoring authority. Whether it's a police officer, whenever Marcos walks into a room, I stand up. And I am immediately reminded when I don't. He is an authority figure. He is an agent of protection. And he represents the law. So therefore, when I submit to him, I submit to the law. When I submit to the law, I submit to God himself because all authority that is established is established by God. What you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me. Here's our identity matter statement. One of those mean punches comes in the form of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Any parallel coming together here for you tonight? Cereal box. Sure looks like Rice Krispies with marshmallows in it. Says it right on the box. Sure looks like a sheep. Look, you can see the fur. That's what they call it. But it's a wolf. Stick your hand in the box and you get something that is going to harm you. It is the principle Satan uses on the church. There are listeners right now that have pastors who are as unsaved as a wolf. And they get up there every single service and they wear these fancy robes or not, dress like sheep, talk like sheep, sing like sheep, read out of the Bible like sheep. But they're not saved. They've never had a born-again experience. But then there's thousands and not millions of preachers that don't put on their sheep's clothing. They are the sheep. Guys, it happens. And it's happened since Adam and Eve. Satan presented to Eve a Wheaties box filled with stuff that was going to kill her. And it did. The wolf's clothing thing has always worked. And it will all the way through the seven-year reign of the Antichrist. He will look like sheep. The Christians who believe in something. Well, with our Generation Z, one of their primary identity markers is gender issues. Sexuality has always been at the core of identity, particularly in the area of physiology. Satan always starts with your body before he can penetrate your mind. Coming from an entire childhood of suffering sicknesses of every form that I could possibly think of, except for cancer, I understand what it means to be the little boy who cried wolf 
why it's the name of my book that's coming out, hopefully, sometime over the next 50 years. I was that little boy who cried wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm telling you, my mother said for years, Stephen, when you were six years old, you were separating lies from truth. Standing there listening to your father talk to people and you would speak up instantly and say to your father, Daddy, he's lying to you. Now see, that is design. I didn't become born again until I was 16 years of age. I was designed to be black and white. I was designed to be a prophet. I was designed to be a preacher of immovability. I was designed that way. But Satan used fear to completely throw me off and lock me up. And crying out and seeing the real wolf my entire childhood and no one would listen to me. I have nightmares to this day of preaching to large audiences and not a one of them were listening. And I've had that dream my entire life. All those things come together as evidence of a calling. And you don't think Satan doesn't know that? So, holding my latest grandson, Ezekiel Stephen, I don't take those two names lightly. I even said to Jess, you know, I'm holding my says, do you realize that this little brain of, of his, who's just figuring out names like Opa and Oma and whatever, is going to house some of the most powerful and dangerous knowledge of the holy when he's an adult as a preacher of the gospel? Because I was already told he was going to be, as well as a few other of my grandkids. The heritage will go forward. Fear or not. But my prayer is they don't go to their casket in fear. Because the majority of indwelt believers take their fear to their casket. They never get set free. Well, I'm not settling for that for you guys. And I'm not settling for that for any of our listeners. You do not need to go to your casket bound by your silly excuses for giving the gospel away in the style and method and gifting he's designed in you. Not Steve Finney's style or any other preacher you may like or dislike. In God's style. Very critical. Seven out of the ten Zers think it's definitely or probably acceptable to be born one gender and to question your gender. Survey goes on to tell us that three out of those ten know someone personally who actually has had some gender adjustments or changes in their life. 
I mean, Ian told me a couple stories that what he had to experience at work with some gender problematic friends. It's everywhere. Keep in mind if homosexuality is such an abomination to the Lord, and I don't know if you've ever looked up the definition of abomination in the Hebrew and Greek, just in the modern Hebrew and Greek, it'll shake your boots. An abominable person is a hater of God. And so if homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord, Satan's really accomplished something pretty significant in the world if that is the main theme to the world. It's going to be in the news when you watch the news tonight. It'll be in the paper tomorrow, some fashion or another. Because Satan's not male. Satan's not female. He's bisexual. Six oh two two nine two two nine. Eight, two. When the controlled group of the engaged Christians were asked, and that doesn't mean they're indwelt, but they were engaged Christians, one out of six say that they're not quite sure. That's 17% of them. While the rest are split between those who believe it is acceptable and those who believe it's not. So 43% are saying acceptable, and 40 of them are saying, nah, that's not acceptable. Engaged Christians. Questioning. That there might be some truth in this gender stuff. God, you're evil for making this little boy a girl. Do you understand that? If you can't look in the mirror, as a doctor friend of mine said to me today, this morning, as we were corresponding quite significantly in emails, that a person who cannot look in the mirror and see their gender as a design from the living God and accept it is not saved. Because they're calling God evil. They are saying he made a mistake. You see how the illogical logic unfolds? That's what we have in front of us. I want to thank each of our listeners for listening. I just have this overwhelming feeling or impression. I lost a lot of listeners in the middle of this one. Well, I got to tell you, the messages are going to become more and more complicated to an unsaved mind and more direct toward a saved mind, a redeemed mind, an indwell believer. Some of you are going to be listening to what's coming up over the next couple months and get really excited, while others are going to become more angry. But remember this, that confession always follows anger. Through confession, there's usually, if not always, an acknowledgement of a God. 
And my prayer is, get angry, but do not sin. React. It's okay. Because we are facing a world view of God that is demonic. And we need to restore the believers and lay the identity markers for Generation Z to come back home to the God of the universe. And Jesus Christ is Son and the Holy Spirit given to you as a gift to be able to connect to those two. Join us again next week as we focus on parental worldviews the problematic issues connected to it, and the answers. Thank you for being with us.